0: to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen.
1: Thank you very much um, for allowing me to come and share the message from the Bible this morning. But before I do, I'd just like to give a big thank you on behalf of the people that are behind bars today that have been helped because of your prayers and support and also their families, their children, through Angel Tree. I know your church has been a great supporter of Angel Tree at Christmas time, you know, with those little gifts for the children with a mum or dad in jail, and obviously getting behind the Camp for Kids program. Again, you know, the annual camp for children with a parent in prison. So, on behalf of them, I want to say thank you. You know, I feel like I'm in such a privileged position, being going behind bars and then being out in the community and just being able to relate to both, you know, to all people in that way and politicians and churches and prisoners and I love that. I just love, and I love that and I think, you know, when we look at Jesus in the Bible, he could relate to all people, couldn't he? You know, and there were some people that liked him and some people that didn't but he was, he was so relatable. The common people received him gladly So, the title of my message this morning is a very simple title. It's called Welcome. And you might have picked that up in the uh, Bible reading that we had just before from Luke 15, verse 1 to 10, where one of the verses said, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, you might look at me and say, This guy hangs around prisoners (laughs) and fellowships with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for every person that's prayed and supported financially and and even volunteered, Lord God, to serve in your kingdom in helping those that are in prison and their families. I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to each one of us in only the way that you know how. Lord, speak to us. Speak to me. Have your way through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We should give a special welcome too for Christine, all the way from Hamburg in Germany, come on. (laughs) And Christine's doing an internship with Prison Fellowship, Uh, but that's a big step and she's been here for three weeks and it's so great to have you. Welcome to Australia and when you go back in six months time, she'll be sounding like an Aussie. So... (laughs) But come and say hello to her after the service and there's also a stand in the foyer with some newsletters and that up there. It's free to take the newsletters, um, so feel free to take one and if you'd like to be on the regular newsletter list, there's a little form you can fill out for that. So, welcome is my title. The first scripture I heard in 1980, I was a 20 year old boy in 1980 and that's when I first became a Christian. And the very first scripture that I heard somebody say in in that Sunday night service in Bundaberg in Queensland when I'd just been led through a sinner's prayer receiving Jesus Christ into my heart, I remember I heard somebody say, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. And I always remembered that and I remember going home that night looking up at the sky thinking they're having a party up there for me. I'd like to join them. And that was the the thought I had back then in 1980. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. But not everybody is always happy and rejoices when somebody turns to Christ. And I'm not talking about the devil. You know, look at some of the scriptures here. In Luke chapter 15 that we read earlier, we heard read earlier. Luke chapter 15 verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them and then Jesus told them the parable. Further in Luke chapter 15 we read the story of the prodigal son from verse 11 to 31. We didn't have time to read that this morning but there's a couple of verses in there I want to read. Verse 18, where the where the prodigal son, the younger son who would ran, run away, he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Just keep that in mind there through this morning's message. I will set out and go back. Because what I want to share about it, part of this message is sharing from the scripture is, the challenges for someone in prison that may become a Christian when they come back to the community. It's a big challenge. So here we see the prodigal son. I will set out and go back to my father. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And the next part of that verse, so his father went out and pleaded with him you could just picture the emotion in all of that, the motion, the older brother, the anger, refusing to go in, the father, pleading, pleading with him, your brother who was lost, gone, is now back, you should be happy. But he wasn't, he was angry. It's interesting, isn't it? We so much want people to become Christians, we want them to become saved, we want them to know Jesus. And so, this is a message I want us to, each one of us, including myself, is to look at ourselves in this and how good are we at welcoming all people? Jesus welcomes sinners. We're good sometimes at welcoming some people, <laughs> but can we welcome all people? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. And it doesn't stop there. In the Old Testament, Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, i read that out. And it's got a little title in my uh, Bible here, the New International Version, Jonah's Anger at the Lord's Compassion. But listen to these verses, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? And the context of that story is where God wanted Jonah to go and speak and bring the message uh, to speak, be his mouthpiece to the Ninevites. To make the story short, he didn't like them (laughs) and he didn't want to go to them and he didn't think they deserved it. And that's where he ran away and we see the story where God was so intent of getting his compassion and his love to to the Ninevites that, you know, the big fish came and swallowed Jonah and he he, he ended up going there. But he struggled and look at that, he tried to forestall this is what I, he tried to forestall by fleeing. He went the opposite way. He didn't want them to know the loving, compassionate God. I look at that and I think that's just incredible. And I've come to realise not everybody really wants that. But I think we should. You know, if we want to be like Jesus as, as his followers and how Jesus, people flock to Jesus, the common people love Jesus... You know, a friend of sinners. he welcomed them. They felt safe around him, but there were some that they just didn't like that. In Acts chapter nine and verse 26, 27, this is where Saul met Christ on the road to Damascus, and afterwards, it says in verse 26, "When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join to the disciples. Now, you'd think, boy, hey, boy, this guy's going to be a great asset. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, I love the Barnabas. (laughs) I look at that and I think prison fellowship's a lot like Barnabas. People come out of prison, they've been in jail, and we think, man, have they changed? Did you hear what they did? you know who that is are they serious? are they really a Christian it's exactly like Saul isn't it Saul was like a terrorist against the church he was so anti-church and and wanting to throw people into prison and he met Jesus and he was transformed and yet it was a it was a real struggle of course they're going to think well could someone like this really change Well, we see the end of the story in the New Testament. We know the answer to that question is yes. Everyone say yes. Yes. Right? Saul did change and he did. But at that initial time it was, did he really? Can we trust him? Is he just kind of coming on the inside here to kind of destroy us from the inside? They didn't believe. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. And that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 11, verse one to 18, I won't read all of the verses, but it actually Acts chapter 10 and uh, Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, dedicated solely, almost completely, to the gospel going to the Gentiles. And God wanted to use Peter to go to them, and he didn't want to go. He had no concept, he thought the gospel surely wouldn't be for that lot, it was for the Jews and God had to give him a vision and bring down a sheet of unclean animals and say, take Peter, eat, eat what I call clean, don't you call unclean, what I call clean, don't call unclean and he had to bring him through that lesson and then in in chapter 11 verse 1 he then reports what happened to the Gentile household, Cornelius' household where the Holy Spirit fell on them all and they were baptised and, and they received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is Paul's report to the others, chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him. <laughs> Isn't it a contrast? You know, when we read that chapter at the start in Luke, The angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. Oh boy, we need to learn from those angels sometimes. You know, we see here somebody repents and people turn to the Lord and it's like, you know, but the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. They were criticizing him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. And then starting from the beginning Peter told them the whole story and in verse 18 when they heard this they had no further objections and praised God saying so then even to Gentiles God has granted repentance that leads to life. So how does that relate to prison fellowship? Well I think you can see the connection you know welcoming sinners or welcoming people and you know, welcoming all people. And some people might look at prisoners as ostracised and outcasts of society and, you know, they've messed up, they deserve it and that's it. But in prison, prison doesn't have to be their whole life. It's just a chapter in a book to some of them. It's not the whole book. And it doesn't have to define their whole life. And if somebody becomes a Christian in prison, does that mean... That that's going to be easy for them when they come out of prison. And I've been really deeply challenged in the last few months and this year <clears throat> just thinking about prison fellowship and what and what we do in prison and, and how effective that is. Prison fellowship's been in New South Wales since 1981, so over 30, 34 years. And I was thinking of that, But did you know that today the prison numbers in New South Wales, are about 11,600, it's the largest it's ever been. And this thought just crossed my mind. If what we were doing was working, wouldn't you think prison numbers should be actually getting less? Now there's lots of reasons why prison numbers would increase. Population increase, um, change of legislation. And in the case in New South Wales, a lot of the crime rates have actually reduced and dropped. So just because prison numbers go up doesn't mean society's actually got worse and crime has increased. They might change bail conditions. They might change parole conditions so people stay in prison longer. So of course the numbers are going to increase in that context. So that's one thing. But I really felt the Lord show me something in this and, and it was, one of them was don't worry about the numbers <laughs> to me. It was like that's not our focus, is the number of how many people are in prison, because there's so many different factors that could be in, that involved in that. But our responsibility as an organization, prison fellowship, is responsibility to ensure that the gospel is clearly presented in prisons. And that's what I feel our responsibility is. You know, not to cram the gospel down someone's throat, but just present the gospel in prison context that. Uh, they can at least hear about the good news of Jesus. You know, and as we read in the context of there, Jesus has no problems mixing with prisoners. And we even know in the Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. He's already in there with them. And somebody once said that, I thought I was going to prison to bring Jesus to them. And when I got there, he was already there. And I want to tell you something, that God is moving so much in prisons. It is incredible. You know, you may not be in there and see that, but I get in there and see that and there's something incredible happening in prisons and it is ripe and ready for harvest because people are so open to God. They may, they've hit rock bottom. There's nowhere more to go down there and, and to some it's just the only way is to look up and there's Christians in prison bringing the good news of Jesus Christ and, and they're so ripe and ready for that. But it doesn't just stop there because people will look at it like Saul and think, yeah, but are they genuine? Are they sincere? Are they really changing? Are they?" And of course, they're legitimate questions for everyone. So I really feel our responsibility is to, one, ensure that the gospel is clearly presented in prison and the other one is to do all we can to make disciples in prison and to see the word of God deeply rooted in their lives so that when they come out of prison, they'll be prepared for that, re-entry back into society and I see that re-entry as almost like a satellite coming from outer space and there's going to be resistance, there's going to be heat, there's going to be will they make it and I think well we can do all we can to prepare them for that re-entry back into the community and so that's where I see prison fellowship. So the number is not, the prison numbers is is not significant to us but what is is that the gospel, and that's why I love the Prisoner's Journey program. That's just started worldwide. Um, it's brand new. It's based on Christianity Explored. Has anyone heard of Christianity Explored? It's based on that. They've done a prison edition, and they've spent four years—the last four years or five or six years ago—developing the Christianity Explored Prisoner Vision, our prison edition and it's based on an eight-week study in prison, but they've done some powerful DVD testimonies of people that have been in prison that have come out. So each eight-week lesson, it's, it has a video testimony quite impacting. The reason it has the video is it's designed for people in prison. It's actually the program's designed for people with attention deficit disorders, dyslexia, and low academic abilities. And, but that doesn't mean everyone in prison is like that. But it's actually geared in a way where it's quite interactive and it's not somebody just up the front reading from a book. They receive the Gospel of Mark. It's based on the Gospel of Mark and there's basically three things through that whole eight-week course. Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come? And what does it mean to follow him? So the Gospel's clearly presented and they have the opportunity in prison to find Christ. And then after that is leading them into other studies, chapel bible correspondence courses and so on because we want to see that word of god deeply rooted in their life preparing them for re-entry back into the community where they will be welcome back <laughs> that's the challenge <laughs> yeah and it is a big challenge you know most people coming out of prison probably all people coming out of prison that's one of the big challenges i've mentioned it here before but the big challenges of prison ministry is one being in prison yourself two the disconnection from family and three, when you're ready to come back into the community. They're the big hot spots and that's where we want to try and ease that as much as possible. As much as possible. In the book of um, Philemon, which is the book just before Hebrews, verse 12 to 7, I'll just read from that and it talks about a guy called Onesimus. That Paul had met in prison and he led him to the Lord in prison and he's sending him back to the church in Philemon's house and this is what he says from verse 12, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary And he he was a runaway slave. But I look at that. Can we look at someone that's done a prison sentence and no longer look at them as the prisoner but maybe as a fellow brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord? That's a question. How good are we at welcoming others? And I want to finish with this. As I wrap this up, I want to finish on how Jesus wrapped up his ministry on earth before he went back into heaven. And in John chapter 17, he's praying for his followers. And he actually gives two prayers. He's praying for two lots of people in John chapter 17. So before he's going back to the Father, now you would think before he's going, what he, what he's praying for is really important. He wouldn't be wasting his words. I'm going back to the Father So I'm just going to pray that they have nice weather today. I don't think so. He's praying, what are they going to be struggling with most? I'm going back to the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. What are they going to be struggling with the most? So he prays for his disciples, the ones that he had with him. And he prays that they will be one. And he prays that his joy would be in them. And he prayed that keep them from the evil one. But then in verse 20, he prays for another group of people. And I'm reading from John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. Jesus is praying now for another group. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe on me through their message, that all of them may be one, that all of them. Jesus was not just praying for his disciples that he had with him, he was looking ahead and he was praying for those that were going to believe through their message, all the new believers being added on, including us. And his prayer that they would all be one. My definition of unity out of that chapter, unity is not just how good do we get on with each other, My definition of unity is how good are we at welcoming others outside of us coming in? And that's why Jesus prayed that. I pray for my disciples and then he goes, there's going to be others added in. I wonder how good they're going to be at actually receiving them and embracing them. You know, He'd already walked along and he saw the way people were and he thought, I wonder how they are. And he says, Father, I pray. I pray for those, but I don't only pray for these alone. I'm praying for those that are going to be added. I'm praying for other people that believe in me, that they'll all be able to get on with each other. Because, boy, if they do, the whole world, the world is going to know. It's going to have such an impact on the world if they can do that. Father, I pray that. And you know what? Jesus' prayer is my prayer. Let's welcome others. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Richard.